Praise God. He is our living hope. You may be seated. Great worship today. Thank you, worship team. And I just asked Scott, I was like, Scott prayed there. I was like, Scott, you know, I didn't ask you this beforehand. You're the one who designed this, this logo and, uh, you know, pulled together this, this promotional packaging in like three weeks. Dude, is, you, is it okay if I give you some credit? And you did a great job with that. So if you could just give him a hand. It was so great that he put that all that together. Um, Yes, here we are, church. It's a new season. Uh, how many of you think it's fall? How many of you are going with it's fall? Fall has begun, fall has started. Yeah, I know. It doesn't matter that it doesn't officially begin until September 23rd. I mean, those people are wrong anyway because they say, like, the fall ends on December 23rd. We all know that's not true. Fall ends after Thanksgiving. Um, I know some of us are out there. We're burning our candles in the 90-degree heat, our pumpkin candles, like it's 60 degrees. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're ready to turn that corner. Well, with a new season is coming a new series. And this series is going to be through the book of Ephesians, and we're calling it Beloved Identity. Beloved Identity. I'm so excited about what, what God has in store for us. And let me get this out of the way first. Uh, we're going with beloved rather than beloved, okay? There's a lot behind that, too, just like there was a lot behind our name, uh, Beloved, two syllables, is like an adjective, the beloved child. Or you could even make it a verb, like he is beloved. <laughs> beloved is what you would hear, you know, in, in a fantasy movie or, or maybe in a historical epic. It's just better. But beloved is a noun, and you all are more than just a one-word adjective, Okay. You are beloved. You are in Christ. God has chosen you. That's what we're going to see here for your identity. And as we go through this series, Beloved Identity, I want to tell you right up front, uh, we're not going to go through the entire book of Ephesians on this. We're going to be in the first like four chapters of Ephesians for Beloved Identity. We're going to take a break. We'll have a Christmas series. Then we'll come back and we'll do a relationship series in Ephesians. Then we'll take another break, we'll have Easter, and then we'll come in and we'll have a spiritual warfare series in Ephesians. So we're breaking up Ephesians into three distinct series, but this one, where we're at right now, today, and for the next couple months, is going to be your beloved identity. One of the issues plaguing our culture, I really believe, is an identity epidemic. So many people have really no confidence in who they are and who they were created to be, what they're here for. There's just a lot of questions swirling about. Uh, I saw a t-shirt just a couple weeks ago. It was, you know, rainbow colors, and it said in all bold letters, be you. I mean, don't we all want that, though? We want to know who we are. What, what are we all about? Why, why do we exist? And in this series, you're going to see there's a glorious reason why you exist, the glory of God. And we're going to dive into that. We're going we're gonna to just, we're going we're to really celebrate that in this series. But people spend their whole lives trying to answer that question. And it's so common to see people find their identity in secondary issues. Okay, they, they find something that maybe they're good at, maybe something they enjoy, and they, and they wrap up their identity in that. I, I know some people, they wrap up their identity in, I'm a teacher. It's, it's something in their career. 
And that's a great thing. I love teachers. It's a really hard job, and it's a really valuable thing to do, to invest in the next generation. But if your identity is just as a teacher, it's going to be really hard sometimes to deal with those bratty kids and those helicopter parents. You need more to hold on to right there. Some people, it's like, I'm a doctor. And yes, another one, good for you. Seriously, congrats on that. And I mean, that's amazing. But there's even more to your life than just being a doctor. For some people, they wrap up their identity in their kids. For some people, their identity is wrapped up in their sexual preference. For other people, it's maybe uh, just their personality. I'm a fighter. Or I'm, a, I'm just the funny guy. And like they make that their identity. You know what I mean? Like the funny guy identity, they, they learn pretty quickly after college that that's not going to pay the bills and that's not going to provide for the family. So you kind of either crash or burn on that one and, uh, and get past it. But I want you to know it's easy to embrace your identity in something that shouldn't be your primary identity. It's very easy to stumble into that. John Piper, a pastor in Minnesota, says, knowledge of yourself is actually the hardest knowledge to come by because to have a proper knowledge of yourself, you have to have a knowledge of God. Think about that. You really aren't going to understand yourself or know your own identity until you know the one who created you. So it's so important that we go now to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 14. What better place to start than in Scripture to find out who God says you are? And I'm going to tell you up front, Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, this is one of the most beautiful, profound passages in all of Scripture on the richness and the depth of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you, and how you fit into that. So let's, uh, let's read here. Last week I had a little trouble reading with the, with the, with the lights and all that. I'm going to try to do a better job today. So I'm going to get the Bible up close to me here. But verse 1 of Ephesians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. 
I tell you what, many people have called these 14 verses that start out the book of Ephesians, they've called it the Alps of the New Testament. You know the Alps, the most beautiful mountain range probably on earth. It's majestic, it's lofty, there's so much beauty in it. That's what I just read, that's what we just read together. And I want to just help you step back for a second as we begin this series and like literally just catch our breath. Because I'll tell you this right now, this text is a two-parter. Actually, it's a 52-week series I could probably make it into. You could easily do that. But we're going to be here today, and we're going to be here next week in these verses. And I want you to step back, collect your breath, so we can climb these theological mountaintops together. All right? Believe it or not, verses 3 through 14 are actually one sentence. One sentence. I know it doesn't look like that in the English uh, because you see a lot of commas and you see some periods, but in the original language, this is one amazing, compact sentence where Paul just can't put a period on it. He can't stop praising God for who he is. He's going on and on with one, one, one uh, phrase after the next, describing the power and the authority of God the Father of Jesus Christ the Son, of the Holy Spirit, all that it means to us, all the blessings that we are given. When I was in college, I had a, I had a class called Letters. Okay, I was studying for the ministry, and I had this class called New Testament Letters. We took like two weeks on every letter and epistle in the New Testament. We had like a project for each one as well. Uh, for 1 Corinthians, we had to write a research paper on head coverings in the New Testament. Aren't you glad I didn't preach a sermon on that back in 1 Corinthians 7? Um, but for this, for Ephesians, my project for Ephesians was to diagram this sentence in English. And let me tell you, for somebody who has never been good at English, I am not an English person. I always slacked off of that in high school, and then it really caught up to me in college. Having to diagram this verses 3 through 14 took me hours. All right, I know it took more than one piece of paper. I don't remember how many papers it was, but I was like, I mean, this is the old days. I'm like drawing lines everywhere all over papers, trying to diagram this sentence. But if you boil it down and you diagram this sentence, the root of what we see here, and this is really why we're in this Beloved Identity series, it is diagramming your identity in Christ. That's what we get. So I'm going to tell you that in a second, but before I even get into that, um, let me bring you up on to why Paul starts out the way he starts. Because really, I mean, he literally threw us in the deep end, right? There was no such thing here. I just read you this text. There's no such thing as taking swimming lessons in the shallow end. It was like we were on the lake and our dad just took us with a fully clothed and just chucked us into the lake. And we have to just like get our head above water here because I just read a lot of rich theological truth. So where, where did this come from? Why did Paul start his letter like he did? Well, I have a slide for you here. And this is kind of the, uh, this is the background, I guess you would say, of where we're at with the church at Ephesus. In Acts 18, you can turn to Acts because I want to read a few verses here as, as a way of introduction in the series. But that's where the church was planted. Um, in Acts 19, you see the church actually growing a little bit in their roots. They're making some roots. Then you see the church budding in Acts 20. And by the time we get to Ephesians 1, the church is thriving. But to go to Acts 18, with, if you want to go there with me, um, the, first, the first thing we see about this, about this church in this city is Paul is on his second missionary journey. He leaves Corinth, 
And he takes with him this power couple named Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, this couple is awesome. Priscilla uh, is like always mentioned first, and she's like a really amazing woman of God. And her husband Aquila, they just serve God. They're like all throughout behind the scenes in the New Testament. But Paul brings them out of Corinth. These like this this Roman couple. He takes them with him to Ephesus. He goes to the synagogue at Ephesus, where he always started his churches. Which, knowing what we know about Ephesus, it was probably a pretty small synagogue. It wasn't a big Jewish presence there. Um, and he starts starts preaching the gospel. Okay, this is Acts 18. And very shortly after Paul's there, Paul decides just to leave. Luke, the author of Acts, doesn't really give us a lot of information about it, but a couple verses later, Priscilla and Aquila meet Apollos, and they set him straight because Apollos is preaching the baptism of John. He didn't know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ yet. This guy's on fire for God. He knows his Old Testament, but he didn't know that Jesus rose from the dead. So Priscilla and Aquila straighten him out, And that's how the church at Ephesus is started in Acts 18. So that's awesome. But Paul's on his way. Um, By the time you come to Acts 19, I need to turn there myself. He's on his third missionary journey. Um, This is like four years later in in, uh, Acts 19. Let me try to get there. Matthew, Mark, John, Acts, yes. Acts 19. Um, Look at verse, look at verse, actually, uh, let's let's not, yeah, look at verse 18. Let's look at verse 18 of Acts chapter 19. So verse 18 there, it says, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now you may be thinking, whoa, what's going on? Like magic books? Ephesus, what what is this? Let me just explain, since we're going to be here for like half the year in Ephesians through these three series, I want you to know who Paul is talking to. This this city of Ephesus, it's in modern-day Turkey. It was just to the east of, of Athens, like right across the Aegean Sea. It was a beautiful city. It was home to one of the seven, um, seven ancient marvels of, of the ancient world, um, wonders of the ancient world ancient world, it was the temple of Artemis. Also, that was the Greek name. The Roman name is the temple to Diana. And uh, this was a very occultic place because in this temple, it was massive. Um, they worshiped this false god and this, uh, this, this female goddess that they worshiped, they would get stirred up emotionally with flute music. I don't know how that happened with flute music, but we'll just go with it. Um, but the, the sad and sick thing is they would get stirred up, emotional frenzy. They would go into these crazy sexual or, like orgies, and there was temple prostitutes. There was just a really nasty place. And because of that, there was a huge occultic presence, and there was a school of witchcraft and sorcery right there in Ephesus. So as the church is planted in Ephesus, people start coming to Christ. They change completely, and they're like ready to burn their magic books. Okay, you had all these people hawking like silver, like idols of Diana. Those guys are losing their business. Like the, this city is changing as it's getting rooted in the gospel. So that's what's going on in Acts. Um, then we'll move on to Acts 20. In Acts 20, and I'm just giving you a brief run through here, but I hope this is helpful. Acts 20 is when Paul actually, he stayed there for a couple years, and now he's leaving. He's ready to move on again because they've grown. Like, they've, they've, they're budding, you know? They're, they're ready to spread their own wings a little bit, and Paul's done his work, and now he's moving on to the next place. 
And in 2028, you can see the love that Paul has for these people. Acts 20.28, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with the purchase of his own blood. Don't you love that church? That's true of the church at Ephesus. That's true of this church right here. He purchased you and I with his own blood. The church is a big deal, okay? Um, Go down to verse 36. Oh, actually, we'll just say verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Do you see the love that Paul has for these people? So the church at Ephesus is a lot different than the church at Corinth. We had our called out series a while back. In Corinth, I mean, they had some issues, right? We remember that. The church at Ephesus is like, it's just, it's growing, it's thriving, amazing things are happening. Paul has a deep kinsmanship relationship with these people, like a Christian love. So that's why Paul just dives headlong in he already knows that they, they're living for Jesus. He's going right into the depths of the richness of God. But you may be still saying, well, wait, um, David, like, he's just reminding them of their identity in Christ? Like, they already know that. Like, the church at Ephesus is on the right trajectory. They're doing great things right now because by the time you get into Ephesians 1, that's like 10 years later, right? He's writing this letter to this church that is really doing great. Why does Paul have to remind a church that's doing great about their identity in Christ. Think about that. Why would Paul have to go back and hammer this home in Ephesians 1, 1 through 14? Well, I could give you a philosophical answer, but I think it would be better for you to see it in Scripture itself. So one more time in Acts 20. Acts 20, we're going to look at verses 25 through 31 this time, because I think this actually explains why he would have to do that. Verse 25 And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with the purchase of his own blood. I know that after my departure, listen to this, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Did you catch why Paul now in Ephesians, 10 years later when he's writing this letter to them, why he's going into their identity? It's because we always face a threat. The enemy is always going after your identity in Jesus Christ. You can never rest easy. We live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. The temptations are coming from outside and they're coming from within. Ephesus has it going on. They're one of the greatest churches right now. Don't leave your first love, Ephesus. It doesn't happen until like 50 years later. But Paul is saying, look, You need to remember there's fierce wolves out there. And there's always going to be a battle for your identity in Christ. 
Paul knows this. In the church, in church right here today, nothing has changed. You can know Jesus Christ. You can be accepted in the beloved, and you can get off track. You can be steered in the wrong direction. It's a temptation for every single one of us, and especially in our culture, where our world system is diametrically opposed to Jesus Christ. There are people here today who a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, we're going to be tempted to put our identity in something else other than Jesus Christ. So here's what we're going to do for the rest of this sermon. We're going to take the 40,000-foot view of the diagram of your identity, and then next week we're really going to just go in at the ground level and we're going to dig in like we normally do. And, and just really relish some of these truths of who God is. But as I said in the past, this is one sentence. And when you diagram it, are you ready for what it says? Do you want me to just give you the cheat code here? Here's the cliff notes coming at you in case you ever have this class in college. If you diagram this sentence, it says, God has blessed you. And then you have all this additional content packed in around that. God has blessed you. Ephesian church, God has blessed you. Vertical church, soon to be doxa church, God has blessed you. And then if you want to add a little bit more to that, because there's a whole lot here, God has blessed you in Christ to the praise of his glory. I mean, that's the full subject, verb, indirect object, direct object. I had to like go back and watch YouTube videos because it's been like a decade since I diagrammed a sentence. I mean, it was really, really rough. You just lose all that stuff, right? Um, but here it is. This, is. this is the simple truth that this is saying. God has blessed you in Christ to the praise of his glory. That's when you break it down what you see. Next week, we're going to see that you're chosen by God the Father in verses 3 through 6. We're also going to see that you're redeemed by Jesus Christ, verses 7 through 12, and that you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, verses 13 and 14. That's next week. This week, I want you to see all of the blessings that God has for you in your identity in there is so much truth, there's so much like, just excitement in these verses about our salvation in this passage. I can't wait to preach this sermon next week, too. Um, I mean, God's nature is boundless. His, his, his mercy and his grace is never-ending. It's just poured out, it's lavished upon us. And we can struggle with our identity, we can struggle with being, being accepted, but when you look at the truth of who God is, he's the one who saves you. It's all him not on us. We don't even have to worry. So we're going to focus on all that. But right now, with our time today, this is it, the macro view of your identity. God has blessed you in Christ to the praise of his glory. And we're going to look at these three truths and break each one of them down in the diagram. And these are the three ways that you can find your beloved identity. So here's the first one. Point one, acknowledge that God has blessed you. Acknowledge that God has blessed you. That's verse three. And I mean, I know that sounds basic, right? Of course. <laughs> what Christian worth their salt is not going to acknowledge that God has blessed them? We know that. I know you know that. I know you know that. But even in our darkest days, we have to go back to that truth to fight through it. When we're, when we're focusing on the gospel, I mean, the only way we work through trials and struggles is we realize, yeah, it, it is because of God. He has blessed me. And I mean, we could have nothing else go for us 
for the rest of our lives. Nothing could fall our way. Nothing could break our way for the rest of your life. But if you know Jesus Christ and you were saved by his death and his resurrection, it's already like you won the Super Bowl, you won a million dollars in the lottery, and you married the, the person of your dreams all on the same day. That's, it, it's better that salvation is better than that, okay? So we really don't deserve anything else. We got the whole thing way more than we ever deserved in our salvation. We have that in Christ. So we have to acknowledge that God has blessed us. But of course, we can do this verbally. We can do this in our minds. We can do this on paper. But practically, it's a different story sometimes. Functionally speaking, we can know that God has blessed us, but we can live our life not acknowledging that God has blessed us. David, how dare you say that? What are you talking about? Let me, let me explain what I'm, I'm trying to say. Have you ever thought, take a look what I did. Nobody else could get this business into shape. It was failing four times, and then I came in here and I whipped it together. I made that happen. I, I, uh, I, this is kind of like the old school way to joke about it, but I want to call this like successful Susan. This is successful Susan's identity, okay? She is smart. She's talented. Uh, she's gifted. There's a lot of people like this. They take what God has given them, and they use all of their abilities and their strengths, and they do amazing things. They have a lot of capacity, but they don't give the credit and they don't acknowledge that all that gifting is coming from God. It's coming from God. It's failing to acknowledge the source of your talent and strength. And this is the number one way that good people, people that love Jesus, they stumble into this false sense of identity. It's another form of worshiping the gift over the giver. And I, I know people like this. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say, say names right now, but like in my mind, I'm thinking of people, some friends of mine, people that I have like worked with in the past, very good at what they do. And they're so good at what they do that they've wrapped up their identity in that, and they're not acknowledging that it's God. And then pride sets in. And then it all goes, it, it doesn't, it's not fulfilling, it's not happy and, and joyful, it's pressure, all those things are going to happen. Church, you have to acknowledge it's from God. Don't prop yourself up and don't take the credit. Here's, here's another angle. Here's a second angle. Um, yeah, you're going to say, hey, God's blessed me. God's blessed me. But you don't have a deep relationship with God. You don't talk with God. When there's a question you have, when you have something going on in your life, the first person you go to pray to is not God. It's instead, I'm going to get on and text my friend. Okay? Do you, you know what I'm talking about? I'm calling this one the popular Pete. This is the person that has, Pete has so many friends. He's got all these people in his life to talk to, to work things out with. Yeah, he acknowledges that God has blessed him, but oh my word, he never goes to God. He never talks to God. He never seeks him. He never gets on his knees and cries out to God. That's another way that we're not acknowledging God is the source of our blessing. If you have something that you're dealing with and you're talking to everyone else but God, you're not acknowledging him. 
practically in your life. And I, that's another common problem that we have in the church. I'm not, of course, of course I'm not saying, like, don't have close Christian friends. We all have to have that. We need that. And you can find that in this church, through life groups, through all the ways, through serving. Like, you can find close, tight-knit relationships with people who will take their shirt off their back for you. You've got to be able to work things through and, and talk through things with people, but it has to rest on your relationship with God, first and foremost. That's where it begins and ends. Acknowledge that God has blessed you. Doing that means that you know in your heart and you remind yourself daily and you tell everyone else that you have an incredibly gracious, merciful God. Putting him first. That's where our identity is going to be a beloved identity. It's never forgetting that God loves you, that he's the one who made you who you are. Acknowledge that God has blessed you. Here's point two. Here's the second piece. Believe in Christ. Believe in Christ. This is verses five through nine. At the base level, this is, of course, how our relationship with God begins. Let me be crystal clear. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you don't have a relationship with God. Verse 3, all the blessings that you can get from a relationship with God are not yours. This is the inception of the entire thing right here. It's repentance in your sin. It's faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Repentance and faith, turning from your way, turning to God, turning to his way. Believe in Jesus Christ. Look at verse, look at verse 7. Ephesians 1, verse 7 in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So true, so good. We can never get enough of that. And, and, and in this beloved identity series, you're not going to get anything out of this if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. This entire thing, making, making my identity someone else, making my identity Jesus, that doesn't sound fun. I'm here for my, my way. That's the way lost people think. That's the way a lost person lives their life. That's the way they function. But if we're in Christ, our identity is in him, and we have this beloved identity in him. Our way leads to death. Sure, we, even if you don't know Christ, you're experiencing common grace. But we can be saved by grace through faith onto a mission that's so much greater than ourselves. So much greater than ourselves. Our default is to live our life our way. And it takes you turning from your sin and your desires and believing in Jesus Christ to begin the relationship with God. And I want you to have that. I have that most of the people in this room have this. And if you don't have that relationship with God, it starts right here, believing in Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 13, if you want to look at that one, we'll say verse, we'll say verse 6 and 13. How about that? Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And then verse 13 in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
That's the biggest decision you will ever make in your life. It's an eternal decision. It will change you to the core. It changes how you think. It changes how you love. It changes how you forgive. It changes how you spend your money. It changes how you have fun. I had a neighbor once. His name was Hayes. And this guy lived the life of the world. He was going after fun, 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 in all these sundry ways, every, everything that you could think of. He, and he didn't want to turn to Christ because he thought if he turned to Jesus, he couldn't have fun anymore. Well, over like the course of a year, you know, he would come over, we'd play the guitar, like we would talk about what books he's reading, what books I'm reading. This guy, my neighbor Hayes, he found Jesus Christ. It was awesome. And he told me, man, I thought I, thought I would never have fun if I came to Jesus, but this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. I was missing something for so long and I could never figure it out. It's this relationship with God. We have eternity in our hearts. That's what Ecclesiastes says. And all the sex, the fame, the money in the world, nothing will fill you, fulfill you the way a relationship with God will fill, fulfill you. That's what you find in the beloved. Now, let me address everyone who does believe, okay? Here's the part B of this point. For those of us who definitely most assuredly, are followers of Jesus, were redeemed by the blood. Similar to acknowledging God's blessing without really acknowledging God's blessing, <laughs> practically speaking, we can do kind of the same thing here on this list. We can. Christians who believe in Christ can live as if they don't believe in Christ. I see it, I see it all the time. It happens every day. Christians making decisions as if Jesus Christ wasn't even a part of their life. That's a tragedy. What am I talking about? Well, it's really simple. It's when you're struggling with something. Maybe, maybe you're struggling in, a, in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling in your thoughts. Maybe you're struggling to forgive. Um, Maybe, maybe you're tempted to be unfaithful to your wife. Ladies, maybe you're, you're tempted to just to brush off what the Bible says, says about, about sex. Young men, maybe you're lured by success and dollar signs. Young ladies, maybe you're struggling with your identity. You're, maybe you're struggling with your body image and your self-worth. All these things are swirling around, and we don't go back to the truth that we see in these verses that you were accepted in the beloved, that God chose you before the foundation of the world, that you were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee of your salvation. You're letting all these other decisions and factors and waves come at you, and you're not factoring in the fact that you are who God says you are. You're not just living your life. You have a life that's bigger than yourself, and it's for Christ. Julie and I have a friend, and she's smart. She's talented. We both, we've been friends with her for years. We love her. She's a Christian, no doubt about it. She's making decisions right now in her life that aren't including her identity in Christ. 
Her decisions are based off of what she's feeling, what she's thinking. And I mean, I'm not trying to pick on her. She's my friend. Don't worry, she's not in here. I've done the same thing. You've done the same thing. We're all going to be tempted this week to do the same thing. This is the very real issue at the heart of your identity. Remember, there's fierce wolves within, without. You're always going to have a battle for your identity in Christ. Look again at verse 6. Verse 6 is literally like the, uh, the central hub of this whole sentence. And I wish I knew English well enough to explain that to you. There's probably a name for that, but I'm just not the right, the right person. For those of you who know me, I'm definitely not the person to give you an English lesson. I'm going to stay with preaching a sermon. Never fear. But verse 6 has, has it all. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Is beloved capitalized in your Bible? Nod your head if beloved is capitalized in your copy of the scripture. A lot of, it, a lot of you it is, okay? That's because beloved right there is talking about Jesus. In the original, we're t- we're, that's another name for Jesus, the beloved. Okay, you see like the double meaning of our series name? Yes, you have a beloved identity and your identity is in Christ. Jesus Christ is my identity, okay? This is the same as saying that, that God has blessed us in Christ. God didn't choose you. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you so that you could just reap some blessings. This didn't all happen just so you could get some fire assurance, get that get-out-of-hell-free card someday. No, he did all that for you. He chose you. He loved you. He called you out because he has a plan for you. He has a purpose for his will for you. Look again at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. A plan for the fullness of time. We can go on and on. There's so much here. This whole plan that God has for you is so much greater than the plan, that the small things that we plan for ourselves. It really is. We short ourselves when it's all on us, when it's about what I want to eat for breakfast and what I want to do tomorrow and what my goal is for five years from now. No, God has a way bigger deal for you. He has a way bigger plan for you. So how do you know that you were living your life believing in Christ? Not just intellectually on paper, but like actually. How do you know you're doing that? Well, really, only you can know. I can't tell you that. I don't know. I will never be able to answer that question. But you have to ask yourself, what consumes me? Where are my my desires? Where are my passions? Am I living for Jesus Christ to the praise of his glory? Or am I like, at the end of the day, really just kind of living for my own glory? That's the question you have to ask yourself. There's one more piece in embracing your identity in Christ to really being a Christian who accepts and relishes their beloved identity. Here's the third piece. Number three, live to the praise of his glory. Live to the praise of his glory. 
And I already talked about verse 6, verse, verse 14. This is the crux. This is like the thesis of this whole sentence. I know that's not the right English term. Those of you who love English are probably like a little bit happy about this sermon and a little bit embarrassed for me at the same time, I'm guessing, today. <laughs> so English people, just, be, just tread lightly on me. This is not my strong game. Uh, this is as deep as I'm going to go and into English. But yes, when you diagram it out, you are blessed by God in Christ to the praise of his glory. And here's that word again. It's, doc, it's the word doxa. You guessed it. <laughs> and I didn't have to work that hard at working it into the sermon because it's basically on every page of scripture. That's what we were created for. And this has been our church's calling card from day one, as I talked about earlier. And that's not going to change. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And when you're out and about and somebody asks you, oh, where do you go to church? Or maybe somebody asks you, why did your church change their name? You have a golden opportunity. They've just teed it up for you to explain, well, our church is here to the praise of his glory. And doxa means, it's the New Testament word for glory. That's what we're going after. Before we go after anything else, we're going after his glory and worshiping him that way. And then you can, as, the, as, as that conversation moves on and, and you have this, this, this opportunity to share what glory really means. Because isn't that kind of a churchy word? I know we have this American twisted idea of glory. We definitely have twisted that as only Americans can do with our cheeseburgers and apple pie and million dollar athletes. But you can explain God's glory is everything that's true about him. In the scripture, every aspect of God's character is called his glory. So his truth, his justice, his love, his mercy, that's the glory of God. And that's what we're called to do. When you and I are honest, when you and I reach out to the person who needs help, who doesn't have the money, who needs something extra, we're showing the grace and the giving nature of our God. That's the glory of God, and we're glorifying God. We have to understand that. We can't just make this word, especially since it's going to be so out front for our church, we can't make it this, this word in one ear, out the other. We can't allow that to happen. We have to know what that really means, and we have to live that out. We exist for the glory of God. Here's why this has to be part of your identity. It's because the fundamental reason you were created was to bring glory to God. And that's why humans, unlike every other aspect of creation, every other piece of creation, the sun, moon, and the stars, the mountains, they're all beautiful, but they don't have eternal souls. Right? We do. We're the living, breathing statues that are made in the image of God. We can create art. We do live forever. We're made in the image of God to show his glory. That's our identity. And if you're in Christ, that's your beloved identity. And for those of you who don't know Jesus Christ, that's the identity that you were made for. That's what you're missing. And that's what we can share with others. 
Our beloved identity is in Jesus Christ. Let's, let's sing about that right now. Would you stand with me?